You are now listening to the Art of Thinking Smart podcast, episode number seven. Hey, Mike, thanks so much for being on this podcast. I really do appreciate it. And I know that our listeners are definitely uh, in for a like, life-changing moment, especially if they have <laughs> like a business. Happen, yeah, man. absolutely. And, and and as I mentioned to uh, our listeners, uh, I got involved uh, with your books or involved, but I guess reading your books uh, when I was I selected. Yeah, yeah. Right, exactly, right, right. And it really was just, it opened my eyes tremendously and I've been sending this out to quite a few people and uh, just how I've been, I've had multiple businesses as an entrepreneur and a couple of them failed, a couple of them succeeded and as I looked at the ones that failed is I did the same thing that you mentioned in your book and uh, the first couple chapters of how hey, you made a lot of money, you're buying nice cars, I couldn't help laughing at that chapter, simply because I was like, oh my goodness, that describes me. And you yeah. had this Iowa experience. And if you don't mind talking a little bit about that, how did you come up with this profit plan, profit first method? And, and how, uh, you know, it, it's kind of how you got to write about it too. Well, I, it, it all started what you shared. I, after selling a second company, I sold two companies in a row. One to a private equity group, my second company to a Fortune 500 called Robert Half International. And uh, when I sold it, I was like, holy cow, like I know the answer to entrepreneurship. Like I am a genius. <laughs> the w- one thing I gained more than money was ego. Mm, got uh, my it. Ego exploded. And it was just like, I was a, I was a dick. I, I cannot <laughs> think of another word but cocky dick. Like, total dick. And I thought that to show my success, I had to have all the cars, all the high-end cars. I had to have the biggest house. I had to live in the most expensive town. I had to join the club. And additionally, I said, since I know the answer uh, to entrepreneurship, I'm going to become an angel investor and start all these businesses and just tell them my wise, sage advice. And I'll be like, I'll go from wealthy to F you rich. Mm. And um, what happened was I went from wealthy to almost bankrupt very quickly. It only took me two years. And what I realized a couple things. First of all, that experience tore the, I hope for my rest of my life, it tore the ego out of me. Mm. Um, I've really come to realize that in life, entrepreneurship or otherwise, we're all on a pattern of ups and downs, different experiences. And that was just an experience in my life. It doesn't make me better than other people. Sure. But the, but the second thing I realized practically was I'm really, really bad at the numbers, but I thought I was really, really good at them. Ah. And I believe David, I think most entrepreneurs feel that way. Like, look, I'm growing. My top line is now a half a million. Now I'm a million. Now I'm five million. Now I'm 25 million. Clearly, I know numbers. And that's a lie. You don't know numbers until the bottom line is wildly healthy. I always thought that profit would be some future event. You know, grow, big customer comes, there's a profit. Uh, grow, sell company, there's my profit. But what I came to realize after I lost all my money, is that I need to bake profit into my business. That profit needs to be a habit and not an event. And um, that's why I wrote the book. Partly in therapy. I'm just looking at because I got one here. I got a sign for somebody. But cool. um, partly because it was therapeutic for me just to go through my experience of losing it all and how ashamed. I actually went through depression uh, about how ashamed I was. And then figuring out the solution for myself. And then sharing it with the world. Because 
I thought I was alone, and I come to realize the majority of entrepreneurs are break-even businesses, are struggling check by check, sure. and don't and think that success is growth of the top line, and it's not. It's mm-hmm. not. It's not. It's it's the bottom line. Sure. My mission is to get people saying, not saying, how big is your business? That's always the question. How many employees you got? How big are you now? Never ask that again. I want to know how healthy is your business. Uh, How's the bottom line? So that that's why I wrote the book. Got it. So I'm writing all these great notes down, and, and again, this could be recorded, so I can go through this again. And, and one of the things that really caught me that, you know, I've read so many different types of business books. You know, I'm stuck in traffic an hour. So I go through an audible book a week, right? Yeah. I call it the University of the Automobile. And, and, and yeah. And one of the things that I, that, that this was different from all the other ones was you were able to talk about our human psychology, about the Frankenstein formula. If you didn't mind explaining that a little bit and also how that relates to, and I really like Parkinson's law, that, that yeah, yeah using yeah. that behavior for our advantage and i think you mentioned the same try to change our habits use our habits for our advantage if you could talk about that because i think that's a crux of a lot of what people need to understand it really, it really is this is the core of money management is actually human behavior it's not the math and um you know what got to me dave when i figured it out that we got to master our own human behavior, or at least not even master, but understand it, put guardrails around it. Is there was a study done? The SBA states that there's 28 million small businesses in the U.S. So out of the 50 states, you got 28 million small businesses. That's a lot of small businesses, and and the SBA defines it as 25 million dollars in revenue mm. or less, which I, I presume uh, represents my company. I presume sure. represents yours and, and mm, almost right. all of our listeners. Right. Yeah. All right. So then, this is what blew my mind. They said there's 28 million small businesses, 22 million are break-even. Wow. Which means 22 million businesses, if they don't get a check-in this this month, they're right. not going to cover payroll. Sure. If they don't get a check-in in the next month or two, they may be out of business. Right. And, and here's what's, what's confounding. That means there's 28 million people in our country that are smart enough, capable enough to start a business, track customers, deliver a service or a product. They get all of it right, but they can't figure out the little profit part. Uh, Like, is a piece of our brain missing? Sure. It didn't make sense. So I thought there's got to be something else going on. Like, not everyone could not figure this out. And what the problem is, is the formula we're told to use, sales minus expenses equals profit, the the profit formula, is a flawed formula. Mm. It's not true. Uh, it's, it's called GAP, by the way. Generally right. accepted accounting principles dictate that sales subtract expenses and the remainder is profit. Here's the problem. Logically, by the way, it makes total sense. The reason it's flawed is it doesn't match human behavior. And it is the human tendency, according to Parkinson's law, to use the supply made available to us. Yeah. It works with money, but let me first explain a toothpaste because this is the best example I've found. Sure. If, I, if you and I have a tube, if you have a tube of toothpaste, a brand new tube, and I are never listening, chances are when you get the brand new tube, you put a long bead on your toothbrush. <laughs> right, you know? right, right. You, you pour water on the toothbrush, and, and sometimes right. the toothpaste gets washed in the sink. You're like, fuck you, toothpaste. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, conversely, if you have no toothpaste, like a, like the tube is almost empty, right. now you're like, you're biting it, you're squeezing your, your knee, you're bending it over your knee or your chest to get it out. Uh, it, in this case, you get a little dab of tooth, 
toothbrush, toothpaste on your toothbrush, right. and you pour water on it, and this time it falls in the sink, right. now you're like, whoa, and you scoop it back out. <laughs> I totally do that. <laughs> I have this little device. I have this little device that I put on my toothpaste that I that it pushes, it squeezes the thing, so you pull it up. It's pretty cool, but you're totally right. I'm on that right now. <laughs> okay. That's hysterical. So that is Parkinson's law. Hmm. Parkinson's law says as the supply expands, our demand behaviorally expands. A full tube of toothpaste, we naturally use it in excess. An empty tube of toothpaste, you come up with device, you can have a device or use it sure. that gets more out of it. Right. That points to Parkinson's law. When there's less available, we become innovative. We use different tools that we wouldn't normally use. We become more frugal. Well, the, tr- the truth is, this doesn't just apply to toothpaste. It applies to all supply, to- toilet paper, anything. And it applies to money. So if we have a large sum of money, it is our subconscious natural behavior to squeeze all that toothpaste out. we got tons of it. And when we have no money, that's when we're like, oh, uh, i got to make collection calls. i got to sell more. Mm-hmm. So Parkinson's law works against us in the gap formula. Sales, all those deposits come in. Right. Then expenses, we say, okay, I have my sales and i got to pay expenses. We take that money and we put it to expenses. Mm-hmm. I suggest profit first to flip the formula. Sales minus profit equals expenses. And, and what I mean by that, David, is you sell as much as you can, you deposit that money, sure. you then take your profit first, sure. tuck it away, hide it away from yourself, and now the remainder is for expenses. And what happens is now the remainder is an empty tube of toothpaste. Mm-hmm. It forces you to become more frugal, to find innovative devices to get the same thing done but in new ways. Where in the old formula, sales minus expenses equals profit. In the gap formula, we simply say, here's a full tube of toothpaste. Look at your bank account. Cover your expenses. And we just naturally use up toothpaste lavishly. Got it. So it's a very subtle change. Take your profit first. Hide it away. That, that, that's the system. But if you do that, if you remove it first, we now put guardrails around our behavior. And Parkinson's law becomes our biggest ally mm. because we are forced to become innovative with an empty tube of toothpaste. Got it. So the goal is obviously using our human nature as an ally as opposed to against it. And I, you know, I read the book, uh, I think it was called Habits and it was a really right. good book. And pretty much it was saying that 95, 90 to 95% of our decisions we make are actually habits. They're not conscious decisions. We're just not good at making conscious decisions, which is why it's using our habits for advantage. Now, Coming back to that, Ed, if you want to explain the Frankenstein formula, because I found that to be so true, where really we're just a hodgepodge of things, if you want to kind of elaborate on that. Yeah, so the Frankenstein formula is this, that the more our business grows, the more it starts controlling us. And the more it starts controlling us, the more we try to feed it more and more money. Mm. So the more money that we spend to grow our business the more unwielding it becomes. So it becomes like Frankenstein. Sure. I don't know if you ever read the book, but right. in Frankenstein, he, this doctor creates Frankenstein, creates this monster, and first it's a miracle. Mm. You know, we start a business, at first it's a miracle. Then we, he starts feeding it and trying to care for it, and it gets bigger. It becomes more we overwielding. Same thing is for a business. The more money that we put into it, it grows, it actually becomes more stressful. More responsibility, more expenses, more employees you have to pay, and it becomes overbearing. Got it. So, so it's it's the formula of sales minus expense equals profit. 
is the gap formula, which I call the Frankenstein formula. It tells us, sell as much as you can, spend it on expenses. Sales minus expenses. We keep on growing a bigger and bigger monster. And the funny thing is, David, if you ask entrepreneurs, the vast majority of people use this formula, what's the way to profitability? They'll say, well, clearly, i got to grow more. i got to grow because sales minus expenses equals profit. Clearly, I don't have enough sales. Mm. But, but Parkinson's law says that sales increase, our expenses are going to increase at the exact same rate. So you'll never get out by growing. The only thing that's going to happen is you'll have more responsibilities, more stress, and more panic because if the next sale doesn't come in, you're out right. of business. No, yeah. So yeah, absolutely. I'm there and I recently uh, took over a company that was in that situation and I felt comfortable taking over this company. You know, they had 55, 60 employees, a couple million in revenue, but they were losing money every month. And <sighs> if one person missed a check and unfortunately prior to taking over this company, they were late one payroll cycle because oh, because a couple yes. of clients, yeah, they lost a couple of clients yes. and you were right break even you lose one or two clients you're in trouble so having that you know that definitely i felt confident saying okay we need to use a profit first sat down with everybody and said we have to really cut our costs down now in 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 also in this podcast and the resources i um got from mike's website your website the allocations the targeted allocations Mm -hmm. to the tap's And where did you get that number from? And for our listeners out there, these allocation is how much profit should you first, you know, uh, if it's, you know, revenues minus uh, profit, how much should you save? And obviously it's going to be gradual. And so you have your targeted allocations percentages based upon the amount of revenue coming in. How did you come up with those numbers? I was very curious to know about that. Yeah, yeah. So I call them TAPs or target allocation percentages. I surveyed about a thousand companies. Uh, the healthiest mm. companies out there saying what kind of percentages are you putting to profit and uh, to expenses based on your top line. Like, well, I call it actually, I call it real revenue. Um, and then it gets a little bit complex. I explain it in the book, but basically your top line. I say, you know, of, of the money that comes in, how much are you putting to profit? How much are you putting toward the pay of the owners or the equity members? How much is going toward taxes and, and paying the taxes of the owners? And I found that there's different thresholds generally based upon revenue. If a company does say under 200,000 in revenue, they are putting a lot of money toward the owner and profit because mm. it's really a freelancer business. Mm. 200,000 or less, you're basically just you. As a business becomes one or two million, now the allocations change. Like a one million dollar business will have maybe 10% going toward profit, 20% going to the pay of the owners, another 15% or so reserved for taxes and the remaining, is it 55%? goes toward operating expenses. Mm. So that's how I got those numbers. But what I tell people is those are TAPS, target numbers. It isn't where you should start. So if your business, like the one you went into, it's a mil- mil- in the millions in revenue, right. it's got you know, lots of employees, and they have no profit, right. if you tell them starting today, uh, we're going to go to 10% profit, 20% right. pay, it, it's such a fast adjustment, sure. it will kill the company. It will break <laughs> its spine. Right. So instead, I tell companies like that, Start at wherever you were last year or last quarter and move it by 1%. Mm. So if you were break-even, now make it 1% allocation toward profit. Got it. If you didn't pay the owners more than, say, 5% top line, we'll move to 6%. And by slowly adjusting into greater reserves for pay, taxes, and, and um, profit, you're slowly compressing down that toothpaste tube, if you will, of expenses. Got it. And if you do that once a quarter, you know, fast forward two or three years, 
Now you become extremely profitable, but it's not this hyper change that can kill your company. Got it, which is a fascinating kind of... And one of the things, I guess, looking at Parkinson's Law and what I find fascinating is that this is not just for business, but it's for just everyday life. That even your yeah. personal finances too. How often we're looking at business application, but even for those, and my primary business has been wealth manager for a number of years. We have 300 plus clients now. And is even saying when you get your, you know, income coming in, have it go to your Roth, have it go to your IRA right off the bat, yeah, totally. taken out. Exactly. Before, because if you don't, you're going to spend it. And if you don't see it, right? And I think that's so important to uh, see. Now on that, how about debt? How do you handle the debt portion of, of paying yeah. down things? That's a fantastic question. And, and there's one I get a lot. Mm. And, and what I what people presume is if you have debt, you can't be profitable. Mm. So people come to me and say, Mike, I have a lot of debt. I, I, I'll wait for the system until I'm out of debt. And that is a fatal, fatal mistake. Ironically, the only way out of debt is to be profitable. Right. Debt means that you have additional money You've paid off all your current expenses. Now you're paying off past expenses. That's what that is. Sure. So you have to be profitable. But here's another thing. You still go through this exact same process. Preserve or reserve your profit as an allocation immediately because you need to establish this habit. Then with your remaining money that's in your expenses, part of that goes to serving your debt as well as running your business. But now as that profit accumulates, what I suggest everyone do, does is a quarterly distribution. That's what big public companies do. Small companies should be doing too. It's a great discipline. I have a nice distribution coming on December 31st mm. for my business because it's profit. So I'm anticipating it. Got it. But when I had, when I have debt, when I had debt, the money would come out and 90% of that money that came out went to serving debt. Ah. I call, I call it the death of debt party. I'm a little bit of a Metallica fan. So I put on Enter Sandman. Got it. And I start cranking the music and I sent you know, a five in the beginning, you know, he was made as a five hundred dollar check, then a five thousand dollar check to pay off the credit card or to pay off some other, you know, some equipment for my business. But I would send a big check, and there's this feeling of relief. What I think it comes to debt, and this is not my method. This is something that David Dave Ramsey wrote sure. about. He, he's a very popular guy. Dave Ramsey has a book called Total Money Makeover. And he talks about this in personal life. This applies to business too. He says the the logical thing to do is to pay your highest interest rates debt first, sure, right? Because that's costing the most. But he says the behavioral thing to do is actually pay off your smallest mm. dollar sum due first. The snowball because method. Because when you pay off your snowball. Yeah, it's snow, yeah nice. Yeah. It's snow, in Hawaii, I didn't know. If you <laughs> yeah, I know we do. I have relatives in Hawaii. Oh, okay, what island? There, I was shocked to find that you have snow yep. in some of the, you know, the tall volcanoes. Yep, the, the big island. Actually snow. You can, yeah, you can actually ski in Hawaii. Which yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but um, they're on Lanai. Okay. So, so or Lanai, you take your um, your smallest debt and wipe, wipe them out first, and then the snowball is once that smallest debt is paid, you have to maintain your other debt. You have to pay the minimums. Now all that money that was being avail- made available, the next time a profit distribution comes, you hit the next debt. Mm, and it builds yep. this emotional muscle that you're wiping out debt. It's not logically the smartest way to do it, but behaviorally, it absolutely is the smartest sure. way. And, and, and you have to understand, it works in debt reduction. With profit, this isn't the, the logical way to drive profit by taking your profit first. 
but logic doesn't work. We have to realize yeah. we have to leverage our behavior. Sure. Oh, that that's uh, fascinating. Though. And oh, that's cool. Like, yeah, we do get uh, big on of snow, and it's Lanai, and was just Lanai. bought out. Yeah, Lanai was just bought out by uh, what is it, Larry Ellison, uh, majority yeah, of the island. Murdoch, right? Yeah, uh, Murdoch, for Murdoch. Yeah. Yep, yep. So it's pretty cool. I was there uh, last year. Uh, still a beautiful island, so that's pretty cool. Blue, the best restaurant on Lanai or Lanai <laughs> is uh, Blue Ginger. Okay. Um, it's a local place. Right in downtown, if you want to call it downtown. Sure. Uh, there's only, right, right. Uh, it's the best place. It's maybe two miles from the airport. It's the okay. best place. All right. I think we passed by because we were uh, staying at a hotel there. That's, uh, so that's pretty, that's pretty cool that you guys uh, have found me. Now, and that's what I really liked about your profit first system is just that the application is not just for businesses, it's for personal. And I, that's why I think everybody should read this, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, whether you're running a business, uh, whether you're just managing your family finances, or even if you're starting out, how to kind of shovel that profit. And coming back to the debt, so from what I hear, debt should be paid from the profit and owner's pay portion, not the operating expenses, correct? Yeah, well, that should be paid from both, actually. Okay. So what you do is you, you your profits accumulating, all this stuff's accumulating. You continue to operate your business from your operating expenses, but you want to squeeze out all the debt payments you can also from those operating expenses. Oh, got it. It forces frugality. But once a quarter, we want to just punch debt in the face. I mean, just a <laughs> right, 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 right. kind of kind of hit, and that's what the profit account will do. Got it. So you're, every, every time you're paying bills, you're paying off debt, you feel momentum, but when you throw this knockout punch at debt, oh man, it feels so good. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's that's very important. And one of the things that you find is yes, for somebody who's barely breaking even to all of a sudden say, hey, ten percent profit right off the bat, it's difficult. So having that one percent gain yeah. is good. Uh, and yeah. and do do you recommend that owners? sit down with everybody in the company, explain what's going on. Well, what do you see since there's a lot of changes and a lot of costs are going to have to be cut eventually and it could be that some jobs are lost. So how do you see that owners be able to institute this without breaking morale? Yeah, so for you do have to explain it, but you got to be tactful. Mm. If you... you Here's what I've come to realize as I've had companies. My companies, the biggest, most employees I've ever had was 30 employees. Sure. But that's big enough that rumors and gossip happens around the office. Here's the first thing I found out. When I didn't disclose any of the finances, right. that people still thought they knew what the finances were. Got it. So they're like, oh, the company, we had a, our company grew to seven, seven million. And so people thought Mike, the owner, is taking home seven million. Got so, it. So, you know, I was barely surviving. Sure. But if I don't give them the information, they make their own conclusion, which is usually very unrealistic. Right. So the first thing is financial education. Hmm. you got to educate all your employees. And I don't care what their role is, frontline or whatever, but explain what it requires to run a business, all the elements. And so when a sales, you know, sale comes in, that's not right to the pocket. It pays for the office space. It pays for the equipment. It pays for your people. There's all these different components that must pay for you also have sales refunds where people uh, dispute a bill and then they require sure. their money back. And then you buy out that, and then you got tax responsibilities, insurance, payroll. And, and you, you show them what it, like, it's like to, to run the business. Got it. Then you say being break even has put us in a very vulnerable position that literally if, if, if the sales don't sustain, um, we're going to be out of business. So we're going to have to become profitable. And there, there's two ways. There's, 
there's really one core way we're going to do it, is by increasing efficiency, by being better at what we do. Um, additionally, if we can, well, my phone's ringing there, so I'm sure. Sure. If we can increase um, sales, right, um, and reduce expenses, and that so there's actually three ways: increase sales, reduce expenses, and include improve the efficiency in between. Here's what I need you to do as as employees: help me increase sales, and you guarantee every yourself a job. Help me increase efficiency, which quite frankly may roll you out of a position. You may find ways to do your position on automatic. We'll guarantee you a job. Because I will move you because you're, you're helping our company excel to a more significant role. Got it. Where you're personally being compromised is if I have to cut costs to sustain. And, and you're not bringing any of those two other assets that we need. Got it, got it. And then you tell the group saying, if we do have to lay people off, I do, first of all, I never take the decision lightly. Sure. Secondly, I recognize sometimes we have to remove a, a person or two to save the entire company. Mm. Too many businesses try to retain everybody, and everyone dies with the business. Sure. Sometimes you have to select and thin out the people that aren't bringing value to your business, remove them so the rest of the business can get healthy and grow again. Got it. I, again, very tactful conversation. I don't, I don't have a big meeting say, hey, what's going on? Because the second you say, I'm going to cut people, panic ensues. So be very tactful in how you present it. Got it. And on top of that... So one of the things that I'm going to start doing, you know, employee benefits, perks, looking at deferred compensation or profit sharing, 401k. If you did something like that, how that would, I'm assuming, coming out of the profit portion and saying, hey, if you help me cut costs, increase revenue, be more efficient, we make more profit, I'll split it with you. How have you seen companies or how have you self uh, done uh, work in that kind of way? Yeah, so I've done profit sharing in my last uh, company, my last the largest one I had and um, I set up a separate pool so mm. I don't have one profit pool for the sure. equity owners and the employees I set up a separate pool and then you know I don't disclose all my numbers to my employees they don't necessarily know how much I take right. at home they don't know how much their colleagues take their own financials are protected I don't share with other people sure. but it's pooled together so they can kind of get a little bit of a sense got it when it comes to the profit itself I say you know, we're reserving a profit pool, and um, based on certain metrics, the more efficient we are, this profit pool is going to grow. It'll generally will be, say, two percent of the top line revenue will generally allocate to profit. But if we gain efficiencies and we sell more and use less resources, less people to do it, that number will go up to three or four percent. Mm. And then what I did, and this was the smart thing, is I showed them the pool of number, the money. Mm. We had a meeting every day. We call it a huddle. Sure. And every day we'd come up, and on the board, we'd write down what our cumulative money in the pot is. Ah. Uh. That was a big motivator. And then we'd say, guys, come on, let's get a little bigger. And they got, there was a lot of excitement around it. Got and then it. On a quarterly basis is when we did the distribution. Some people wait for once a year. Sure. Too infrequent. Some were doing it monthly. It's too frequent. Sure. I found once a quarter is the best to do it. It builds anticipation and then the excitement when you get it, and it starts building anticipation again. Can we beat that number next quarter? I see. That's very good. So beating the number. And and how did you split it? Did you split it equally? Did you split it based upon the performance? How did you do that? We now this is I'm not recommending for, for right. every company. We did years of service. Okay. And um, regardless if you were the receptionist or the lead forensic investigator, we were in a forensics business. Sure. It didn't matter. So if. If our receptionist was with us for five years, and she was, sure. and our lead forensic examiner was with us for five years, actually, I take it back, it was four, but four years for those two, 
they'll get the exact same distribution. Now, their salaries were radically different. I see. When it came to profit distribution. Oh, I see. Our argument was that the receptionist could theoretically have the same impact as the lead forensic examiner. Got it. If the receptionist wows a customer, caters to them, addresses their need, it could service in the sales component just as well. I don't know if it was a perfect system. That's the system we moved to. Got it. And and did you do this in addition to any like 401k or was it just kind of one or the other? Oh, no. We had a 401k oh, okay. too. Um, this was used, I think, to subsidize the 401k, like an additional amount, or, and they got in a cash bonus too. Okay, got it. And all this comes from the owners or the uh, profit uh, bank account? account? I yeah. see. Okay. I'm a huge, fan, huge fan of 401ks. Sure. You know that's the greatest savings mechanism in U.S. history. Right. And, and as you're pointing out, it's the same principle. An employee who benefits from a 401k has a gross salary, but they don't get the gross. The money's reserved for right. retirement. First, they live off the net. In our business, our gross salaries are revenue, right. if we take our profit first, that's like a 401k tuck it ah. away, we will find ways to live off the net. Same thing, just as an employee. Got it's it. the greatest savings mechanism. I think it's the greatest profit mechanism now. Which is great then. And, and how do you, and do you, when you have partners, uh, obviously yeah. you're splitting up the profit or the owners pay based upon the economic interests that the different partners have? Mm-hmm. Have you seen people, I guess, uh, you know, fight over it or, because uh, I have, uh, I don't anticipate any of these problems, but I've seen a lot of companies, the owners are fighting and kind of splitting out how it right. goes and all that. So how have you seen that, how this impacts, you know, relationships, that type of thing? Yeah, so it can, in a very positive way, well, yeah, it can I be so. a risky way. Right. I think some some owners go in saying, oh, we're just going to be an even distribution. Like, if Dave, if you and I start a business, we'll say, we'll both put our souls into this. Right. Let's go in 50-50. And then three weeks from now, you're like, God, Mike really doesn't work nearly as hard as he can. He's a loud mouth, right. but he doesn't work. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> and then you're like, you deserve 70%. Mike deserves me 30%. So here's a formula I found that helps. Sure. When starting a business with employee, with uh, other owners, or whenever it comes to the equity distribution, start off with a number, a founder's number. If it was just me and you, David, I'd say maybe 10% each. Okay. And then the remaining 80% stays with the company and is distributed to us on a quarterly basis uh, based upon our predetermined metric performance. Okay. So you say, Mike, you know, you're going to be the sales guy. I, David, are going to be the operations guy. Mike, if you sell, if you bring in $100,000 of business each quarter, that grants you another percent of the company. Oh, I see. And I say, Dave, if you take care of customers this way, you get another percent of the company. Then, over time, maybe over a couple of years, whatever our plan is, I would do it over three years, all the equity is distributed based upon performance. Now, the power about this is it becomes a fair distribution because I can't fake performance for three years. And if I do fake it for three years, then that's who I am now. That's sure. my new performance level. Wow. Most most people like to fake it for a good month or two, and then they go back to who they are. Right. So that's a technique. I do the same thing with the profit distribution. Uh, if you have an existing business and you set up this profit first account, you're going to do distributions. Right. Say every owner starts off with, say, 10%. Say there's two owners or whatever. Right. Start off with 10%, and then the remainder stays with the business. Sure. Then next quarter, based upon performance metrics, the percentages break out. Ah, uh, got it. it. And so it's these uh, the measurable statistics that you're yeah. pegging the performance to. Uh, be, uh, yeah. And and I mean, this is a very broad question, but we talked about uh, kind of going through the uh, program, the small business program that I was in with Goldman Sachs, that your yeah. dashboard 
Your measurable statistics are extremely is important, and we all have to kind of figure out our own. Generally speaking, and it being broad, what type of measurable statistics do you find that's effective for employees, owners, all that type of stuff? Yeah, so for the business, for almost every business, it's new business, sure, retention, retention of clients, got it, and efficiency, and efficiency. So I always try to build metrics around those two. I see. New new clients is usually calculated by top line revenue. Sure. Okay. Um, so. If the analogy is a football game, right? If I if I say uh, yeah, team one, you'd say, well, what was the score? Sure. Um, that's the top line. So Go, we measure oh, sales. It. When it comes to um, reten- client retention, right? It's how long the game was played. Uh, so if I say, if I tell you, you know, the score is seventeen to ten, you'll say, oh, so this, the team was seventeen one. I'll say, well, we're still in the first quarter. Like, uh, oh, okay. okay. So I want to know. Not just what my revenue is, but another measurement is how long clients stay with me. Sure. And the final element is efficiency. Efficiency is how 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 few resources are needed to get things done. Are we getting more done, more done with less? So in football, if I tell you the game was ten seventeen, and we played all four quarters. But unfortunately, 15 of our guys are severely injured and can't play again. Sure, sure. Well, that's different than saying everyone's fine, everyone's great, and our quarterback had the best game ever. Right. He's passing, you know. And then that, that gives you a different sense of business. So Got that's it. the three elements. Top-line sales, top or how much retention we have going on, and how efficient are we overall in all these different path areas. Got it. No, I, I really do like this. And, and real quick, uh, um, kind of before we get uh, we end, I want to talk about yeah. your other books real quick. So you have the Toilet Paper Entrepreneur. I really like that name. So I want you to explain why how you came up with that name, briefly what it's about, and I'll have that re- those uh, links to those books, uh, links to those books on uh, this uh, resources page, and then also oh, the the Pumpkin Plan. Is that what it was? A Pumpkin Plan. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, so yeah if you could talk a little bit about those books, what are they about? There you go. Okay, I like that. <laughs> for the folks that are watching, you can see the cover is a roll, a near empty roll of toilet paper, and I wrote this book about how to bootstrap a business. Mm. This this by the way talks about Parkinson's theory again from a different vantage point, not about the numbers, but about actually running a business. And when there's less resources available, it it. It stimulates innovation. Mm. And so I, I talk about different case studies of businesses when they had less resources, how they sparked growth, and how having less money, less resources, less contacts is actually your biggest ally. Ah. So I wrote this book for early stage businesses. Got it. And then the pumpkin plan, that's this one. You can see the big pumpkin on it right. in, in a seascape. Sure. The pumpkin plan I wrote about scaling quickly. Okay. How do you grow a business? And what one of the core lessons is here is actually by firing your darlings. Hmm. If you, as a business grows, you have to get rid of the smaller customers, even though you may have a history with them or you like them, that don't substantiate or support your ability to grow further. Oh. Additionally, you have there's certain clients you have that you want to clone. So in the pumpkin plan, I talk about techniques of sorting your clients, identifying the ones who truly are best suited for you and the other ones who may not be, then how to find more just like that clone and grow quickly. And once you master that division of clients, realizing they're not all the same, and you clone your best, 
explosive growth happens. Got so it. that's what the pumpkin. And so very similar on that is you know, the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, so and, and I actually, uh, my previous podcast was on productivity where, and I find this in my wealth management business, other things is that 20% of my clients provide 80% of revenue and 80% clients provide 20%. So it's replicating that 20%. So you, you got it right on the uh, pumpkin plan then. Well, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all based on Pareto's principle. And I even talk about a thing called the Pareto, I call it the Pareto overlap. So you have 20% of your clients that yield 80% of your revenue. Those are the clients you want. But you also have 20% of your services or products that yield 80% of your profit. Oh. When you match your best clients, your 20% best clients, that are buying your best product, wow. that's the upper 5%. Oh, okay. Usually. So the Pareto overlap when you then. Match the Pareto overlap. When you match those two, the best pro- profitable products to the best clients, that identifies the very small group that you want to clone. Got and, it. And, and that will give you access to a market and a niche um, that can grow explosively and be highly profitable. Wow. Okay. So I'm going to, I want to ask a little bit here uh, because this is so important is okay yeah. so a lot of people ask what niche should i go to and 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 that five to five percent so you're saying that find out the my top 20 percent of the clients yep. uh, and then also the top 20 percent of the rev of uh, the services and then you yep. link those two together it is one more step they, sure you do those two right and that's where if most people most people unfortunately don't even understand that but when they figure right. that out they say i get it and the term that's used is called pivot Okay. Pivot to what your customers want. Now, if you're right down to the word pivot, I say scratch it out because I think okay. pivot is the worst term in the world. I think it's damaging. All right, scratching it out. Pivot <laughs> <laughs> what, pivot, what pivoting tells us is adjust to the customer demand, your best customers. The thing is we could lose sight of who we are, oh. our passion, why we grew this business. Got it. So I, I believe we need to not pivot, but we need to align. Oh, I like that. Match match the 20% best customers, the 20% best product, those folks, but also know exactly what the impact you are trying to have within your business, what drives you, what you're passionate about. And when your best customer demand matches up with your best interests and desires and passion, that's where things go crazy. So it's not just the best customer, most profit. That's a part of it. Sure. That's sustainable. But you got to make sure it's in alignment with who you are. If it's not, then you got to see maybe it's a slightly different customer, slightly different product, or maybe you got to adjust some of your parameters, which might be tough. But you got to get those aligned. And when you do, it's not only an explosively growing business, you love doing it. And wow. that's kind of the, the nirvana of business. Got it. So real last question here. And this just we could go out for days on no, uh, some of the great stuff. Based upon everything you've told me, Kind of your description of a financially fit and healthy business and real brief on, you know, what are the concrete steps needed to get to that measurable statistic that you talk about on defining what it means to be financially fit? Yeah, I mean, a really healthy company will have three months in reserves. I mean, they'll have cash assets that could cover the business as it stands today for three months. If not, another penny comes in. They have enough money to pay all the bills. Now, here's what three months affords you. Usually affords you about a year. Okay. No business, I don't know many businesses that are selling, selling, and all of a sudden everything stops and they say, well, we have no business anywhere. We're going to keep our employees on and, and keep this big office space. Usually we go through dips. We lose a big customer or we lose something. Then that three month reserve 
will help stretch that time longer. But usually there's enough trickle and enough time to reduce our expenses that a three-month reserve can afford as a full year of life. And if we can afford our business a full year of life, that is the full cycle, at least within the business, in the microeconomy, that we should be able to find sustainability there. Wow. So that's what, that's what I call financially fit. Got it. More, in this case, more is better um, to a certain degree. At a certain point, some companies, it's rare, but they, they save up so much money they become what's called deep pockets, sure. and now they become targets yeah. for litigation. Like Apple. Yeah, Apple. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. Sue Apple because they use the word Apple. Right, exactly. <laughs> so you got to be careful of that. To get there, profit first is the method to get there. As we said earlier, start with a small percentage, start accumulating, accumulating. This month, maybe you have to have a $30,000 reserve to cover three months. Maybe you have to have a $300,000 reserve, but maybe after month one, you'll have 100 bucks set aside, you're 100 bucks closer. Sure. Keep allocating to a profit every quarter. Increase that percentage. Build the momentum. It's something that if you're a break-even business, anticipate, from my experience, one to four years, one to three years to get to true financial fitness. Mm. It's okay. Don't expect it overnight. You are getting stronger every single day. Got if you it. try to rush into it and be financially fit within a day, it may kill you. Ah, so I expect see. It, minimally a year maximally three, maybe four years to become truly financially fit. Sure, sure. Wow, this is so great. And again, the one thing I really liked about your book as opposed to the others and I had to contact you was the fact that this is not just a list of things you got to do and hopefully you could be disciplined to do it. This is saying take your existing habits, the way we think psychologically, tweak it a little bit and it becomes a lot easier to do which is, I think is very important. And Right. Not change who you are. Yeah. That's the biggest lesson. Most of us try to change who we are, and that's not sustainable. Got it. What I I, I like to tell people is let's know who you are naturally, and let's just put little guardrails in to leverage us, and let's continue to be who we are. Got it. Guardrails. I like that. Guardrails to leverage. And you also have, for those listeners that are out there that want to get more information, they can buy your book that links down below, resources. But you also have profit-first professionals that could help them. Is that correct? Yeah, so Profit First Professionals is a. Uh, I started getting so many inquiries after people read this book saying, I love it, I'm doing it, but I want someone to help me a little bit more because I'm. I, sometimes I break the rules. Sometimes I borrow from my profit account when I shouldn't. Right. Profit First Professionals are accountants and bookkeepers and business coaches. That's the three categories. Sure. Who are trained in Profit First and specialize in it. So, you know, we all need an accountant anyway. These. They do. They're amazing accounts, but they additionally enforce profit first. And they cost the same, but they had this additional thing. And when it comes to profit first bookkeepers, you know, everyone needs a bookkeeper in, in some capacity. They're bookkeepers, and they're excellent, but they also enforce profit first. And same with the business coaches. Got so that, that's what that organization is. And part of the accountability to get there to make sure you're doing accountability. it. Accountability. Got and it. You know what's beautiful? It's it's. It's not you or someone inside your business who's emotionally attached. Sure. This is like a trainer at the gym. They don't care if you're sore. Right. They just care that they're doing their job. Right. They're emotionally detached. Same idea. Got it. Well, Mike, thanks so much for this. Really do appreciate your time. This is uh, all the listeners out there. This is great, Ed. And if you want to get more information, again, uh, I'll have the links in the site where you can get linked up with the Profit First Professional, buy the books and read it. And uh, really do. Uh, uh, is there anything else you want to say? Uh, just a big aloha. Great, aloha. That's pretty good. All right, that's cool. Hey, thanks again, Mike. Really do appreciate it. And we'll stay in touch. Oh, I would love to. Take Great. care, David. Great, thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.